Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Rio Chiba. Rio is an entrepreneur who started a multi-million dollar SaaS company in college using SEO and content marketing called Tint. Uh, he bootstrapped it with his two co-founders to 40 full-time employees, $5 million in annual recurring revenue, and 1,000 plus customers in 172 companies. After successfully selling the company in 2018, he is now working on topic to help others achieve similar marketing success for their businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rio. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Yeah, I'm really passionate about the intersection of product and marketing. Uh, so I am a engineer turned marketer. And the first business that I started was um, as a student in the engineering school. So, you know, back then I really had the idea that um, if you build a great product, then people will just come out of the woodwork and buy it. But after a decade of being an entrepreneur, it's very clear that that is not the case. And so I think the, the intersection of product and marketing is fascinating, not only in um, building products that market themselves, but also uh, building products to help marketers. And so that's sort of, you know, what I've been working on for, you know, the past 10 years. I love it. Can you give me maybe an example or two of, of businesses that have done a really good job at that intersection, or maybe ventures you've done that have done a really good job at that intersection of, of technology and marketing, and uh, maybe a, a bit of advice or two for our audience? Yeah, so I think a great example was with the first business that I started out of college. So um, it's a great segue into sort of my background. But basically, uh, while we were um, still students, we started this business uh, aggregating social media to help businesses display that on their websites. And um, we raised money, uh, started working. And as anybody who has started a business for the first time can probably relate to, we had no idea what we were doing. So we spent about nine months uh, trying to figure out how to get more users, how to, how to get some traction. And with about three months of runway left, we basically, um, I on a whim, decided to learn some uh, basics of SEO and apply that to our business. And luckily that was what allowed us to get our initial traction and not only that, allow us to grow uh, to around 40 people and over the course of six years, all through SEO. Um, and it was really a remarkable channel for us and it really opened my eyes to the power of organic search. And one of the key aspects of that growth was turning our product into something that could market itself. Uh, it was an embeddable product that people could put onto their own websites. And so the product uh, basically sold itself because it had a, you know, powered by uh, tint um, sticker at the bottom and that got people interested and that built our domain's authority and allowed us to rank for important keywords. So there's, in terms of tips, I feel like for anybody listening to this, I think most businesses have that unique angle or unique uh, superpower where they can leverage um, something inherent in their business in order to help them in uh, search marketing. Um, I think another great example is I was consulting with a company that uh, rents out venue spaces for, um, for events and corporate uh, meetings. And their primary growth strategy was um, 
letting uh, venues uh, feature themselves on their site um, and then also in exchange uh, have that venue um, put a link back to this directory of venues. And so uh, by recruiting their own customers as advocates in this way, they're able to grow their site authority and grow their traffic. You told a story of your career early on. Can you go ahead and just tell us the rest of the story, your journey to become this super successful entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, over those six years, uh, one of the, one of our biggest struggles was putting together a scalable um, content marketing program. It's really hard to find writers who could write about marketing technology and social media aggregation, which was our business's niche. Um, and when we did find a great writer, uh, it was hard to give them the research that was required in order to allow them to create the content that uh, that's good enough to rank on search. And so um, through that process, I learned so much about how to uh, create a scalable SEO program. And um, when we sold the company in 2018, I decided that that would be the focus for my next venture, which is Topic. I love it. Tell us more about Topic. Go, go a little bit more into depth. Yeah, so Topic um, is basically a... Uh, research and optimization tool for content marketers to help them create um, better quality content at scale. Um, so it basically analyzes the top results in Google to identify what are some of the key things that your audience wants to learn about so that you can cover that in the content that you're putting together. So you can put in any keyword that you might be wanting to write about and they'll give you niches or, or angles that you might want to explore and maybe the right keywords to put in your title to help optimize the, the results, the, the chance of success of that piece of content. Exactly. What's the biggest failure you've made in your career? What'd you learn from it? I would say that my biggest failure was not doing more um, to grow the business, our, our previous business. Um, using the channel that we know worked. For a long time, we looked at other startups and saw them growing their business through uh, outbound sales or growing it through um, you know, things that we weren't very strong at. And so we felt like we should work on our weaknesses and invest more in that. And what really that ended up doing was holding our business back uh, because we didn't have the in-house expertise and we didn't know how to hire for that in-house expertise when we really should have doubled down on our strengths and um, not taken those for granted. So um, even though we grew our business significantly through SEO, we did spend a lot, a lot of money and time trying to um, really hone in on those other channels like paid uh, and um, events, uh, affiliates. Uh, yep. Outbound sales, those didn't pan out, you know, and that was all, um, that was all wasted effort. But there was one channel that you knew worked and you should have doubled down on the one that was working. That's right. That's the point. Okay. Yeah, that's so true. I look in my consulting practice, the things that have, the, the biggest home runs that I've hit. And it's always been where I tried, you know, 20 different things. And one of those things or two of those things did really well. 
And then you have the courage to turn off those other 18 things that aren't doing well and, and focus everything on the couple of things that really are doing well. It's okay to acknowledge your weaknesses and, and, and not focus on those, you know, if, if there's another channel that's working. Yeah, that's right. That's really important. It's not about doing everything. It's about testing a whole bunch of different things and finding out what works and then turning off the things that don't work and putting a ton of effort into the things that we know work. Yeah, that's right. What a brilliant strategy. Thanks for sharing. Okay. Uh, tell me the greatest home run that you've hit in your career. Yeah, I'd say the biggest home run was uh, finding the right leaders to own uh, some of the aspects of our organization that we um, didn't feel qualified to run. Um, I think that being pretty quick to acknowledge some of those shortcomings on our end in terms of skills uh, allowed us to jump ahead and find um, opportunities that we wouldn't have been able to find. Uh, I think as a founder, it's easy to let your ego come into play when yeah. figuring out how you want to grow your business and who should be making the decisions. But being able to delegate and allowing um, those outsiders to, or not outsiders, but people that you bring on to really uh, own those processes allowed our, our previous business to grow. Yeah, it yeah. takes a lot of courage and a lot of a lot of guts to be able to let go of your baby and and delegate pieces of of that responsibility to somebody else. And finding that right person is is so very important. Let's talk a little bit about tectonic shifts. Uh, what do you think is the biggest tectonic shift that is affecting the transformation of the business landscape today? The the biggest shift that I have the most experience in, you know, there's all sorts of shifts that are going on, uh, but the niche that I'm really honed in on and, and have spent a lot of time looking at is content marketing and organic search. Um, but in a broader sense, one big shift is the, the big change in consumer behavior in terms of who they trust and where they're going to be making purchasing decisions. Yeah. I think that it's no longer good enough to put out a radio ad or a TV ad and expect your audience to trust you and um, make a decision based off of that. People are looking for authentic content that uh, is not only uh, intelligent and answers those questions, but is also trustworthy and comes from an authoritative source. I love that. We call that credibility marketing. And I'm working on writing a book on that that'll be done in a few months. Um, talk to me more about credibility marketing. Can you share with us maybe an example or two um, where you've seen people leverage credibility marketing well? Yeah, I think one great example is um, uh, we work with a lot of health clients um, who are uh, building products or selling products that are related to health and wellness. And the people that they're all competing against uh, are companies like WebMD, um, yeah. you know, sites that lots uh, of credibility. Yeah. Lots of credibility. And I think that those sites have always been really keen on, uh, identifying what's going to make readers trust them over others, because ultimately WebMD is just a private organization, you know, but they have so much credibility because they've enlisted 
teams of doctors and researchers to back up everything that they say. They have a panel that reviews all the content that they produce and they make that very clear on their site. Um, and when it comes to credibility, I think that's a great example of, uh, of you know, what it takes to stand out in an extremely um, competitive niche like health. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so WebMD, a great example, because they've brought in scientific experts, um, and, and not just one scientific expert, but a group of scientific experts to review this content. Their content is far more credible than anything someone could just post on their own blog, or um, maybe than even an individual doctor could could write. The the group of scientific experts make it more credible. Yeah, I think another, um, not just health, but there's this can be applied to all sorts of other markets. One of our customers is uh, curated.com, and they specialize in doing the same thing, but for athletes and sports equipment. So they take, you know, an Olympic uh, gold medalist skier and have them write a guide on how to buy your first pair of skis. And so, you know, the same technique, I feel like, is pretty applicable in, in most markets. You need to find who who to who to get to create your content and then focus on that. I love it. Yeah. So credible people to create and edit to, to guarantee the accuracy of our content. I love yeah. it. I think another thing too, when we were talking about tectonic shifts, um, taking a look at the authority is just one angle, but um, I think another tectonic shift in content marketing is just how competitive it's getting. Um, as more and more uh, of the purchasing decisions get moved to places where you can't pay your way to um, to your audience, places like organic search where you can't pay to be in the top spots unless you know, you're looking at an ad. Um, but again, 60, 60 to 70% of clicks are going to organic search results because people trust those more. And um, because more people are going to those channels, uh, it's getting more competitive in general. What is your best monetization secret or strategy? I would say that the uh, the best monetization strategy that I've personally uh, put into practice is leveraging um, high intent uh, keywords and organic search. It's just a channel that just keeps paying out once you um, are able to establish authority and trust. Yes. Um, you it's a moat. It's one of the only channels where you can create a moat for your business that is defensible. Um, everything else uh, gets commodified, you know, instantaneously, like paid uh, channels where once once you've got your competitors jumping in and, and seeing what you're doing, um, it's just sort of a race to the bottom in terms of how much you're able to monetize a given audience. Um, but search yeah. is something that you can truly defend with the trade-off being that it's hard to um, create content that stands out and is able to stay in the top spot. Yeah. A lot of people talk about recurring revenue and building recurring revenue streams, but what you're describing here is recurring marketing, right? Where you build content once, you optimize it really well, and you get recurring marketing value you don't have to continue to pay for each month. Exactly. I don't think that there's enough being said out there about how much that can make or break a business yeah. in terms of the unit economics. 
Yeah. So let's maybe take us through the steps of that. If you were advising me and I was a, a consulting client of yours, right? Um, what are the steps I would need to follow to do a really good SEO, you know, content marketing strategy? First is identifying high intent keywords, places where customers are ready to buy. That's what's going to make the biggest short-term impact to the business. Um, and really what you want are those quick wins. Everybody's always saying that SEO takes six, six months or more, um, but oftentimes as a business owner, you wanna see those quick wins because that validates that this is something that you can actually get behind long-term. Yeah. And it's those high intent keywords that allow you to find that. Um, can you give our audience some examples of what, what those high intent keywords might be? Yeah, so I think one category of uh, keywords is taking a look at your competitors and seeing if people are searching for alternatives to those competitors. Um, people who are looking for uh, an alternative are often at, um, at a further end of the purchasing decision spectrum than somebody who's just looking for general advice. You know, once you're actually looking at products and comparing them, you know, people are looking to put, uh, put their money in. So I think looking at competitor alternatives, also looking at things like um, also, uh, the category of product that you're looking like, um, you know, content optimization tools or tool. Um, and the thing is for these high intent keywords, there are typically not that many of them. So if you're working with somebody to put these together, or if you're doing it yourself, uh, there might only be, you know, 10 or 20 keywords, um, versus in typical keyword research, it'll uncover hundreds of keywords, but again, 80 to 90% of them won't be those uh, high converting, um, lower of the funnel keywords. Let's think of another example. Let's say that you're in the, um, in the insurance space, right? So a keyword like health insurance might be too broad, right? It doesn't show as much purchase intent. Maybe they're doing research. Um, what do you think the, uh, the best uh, purchase intent keywords might be for, for insurance? Yeah, something like uh, United Healthcare Alternatives or best healthcare insurance in Minnesota. Um, right. It's getting a little more targeted and people are looking for a specific solution rather than general tips on picking a health, uh, health insurance provider. Yep. Maybe they're yeah. closer to that purchase decision. Mm -hmm. You have worked a lot with recurring revenue streams. Can you share with us some stories about implementing and managing recurring revenue streams and maybe some tips and advice for us? Yeah, when it comes to recurring revenue, the the one important metric to optimize for is churn. Um, churn will define the ceiling at which the business is able to grow to. And once you hit that ceiling, there's nothing that you can do to change it unless you change the churn. And so, so explain what churn is for the audience. Yeah, so, so churn is how many customers are um, leaving you on a monthly basis and how long they stick around. And the churn percentage is percentage of your customers who leave um, on a regular basis. And if you have recurring revenue, uh, as you get more customers, you'll see the, that revenue grow, but eventually the number of customers coming in and the number of customers coming out will equalize, resulting in hitting a plateau for the business. 
because the churn is the coming out. So you've got to reduce the churn and increase the new signups. Exactly. And from a marketing standpoint, there's a limited amount. Well, from our marketing standpoint, the usual metrics are all around increasing the net in, but oftentimes there's a limit to that. Or, um, you know, if you have a high churn, even if you have a really amazing marketing uh, system built out, it won't matter because those people are churning out. And so I think a key thing is working with whoever's in charge of retention at an organization to put marketing efforts behind that, whether it's to say, um, use marketing, uh, skills to sell existing features, uh, that people might not know about or, um, get people excited about being customers of, you know, a specific product. The second okay. step, is figuring out now how to turn that into a piece of content. And what's really essential here that I've mentioned before, but is equally important is to really dive into the research to identify what the search audience is asking using tools. Like people also ask to figure out those questions, looking for patterns in the headings that other articles are using, uh, so that you can create content that's answering what your search audience cares about. And then on top of that, layering on extra value. So I think there's two components to it that are essential to bake into the content production process. So the first part is figuring out what are the key points that you're, uh, that you need to cover or the questions that your audience is asking. Um, and that's just the table stakes, you know, what is the, what's the, what's the information that you need? Um, and then the second aspect is how do you go above and beyond? What is the unique uh, information that you can add that either adds a different perspective, um, adds a more trustworthy voice, uh, adds more media so that people can consume that in different ways, whether that's a video or um, a snippet of audio. Um, and so for each piece of content being produced, being able to do those two steps as part of the process is really essential. Um, and also enabling writers uh, at your business to have the information they need to do those things. So one of the biggest challenges that we see when we're consulting with clients and working with clients is that their writers aren't experts in the niche that they're writing about, whether that's credit cards or travel or health, you know, they, they just want to get the piece of content done. They're not being empowered with the research necessary to allow them to create high quality content. So that is what our product does is it helps automate that process and gives them a content brief that they can then use to, to see what are the key points that they need to make. Thank you so much, Rio, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we should try to find the intersection between our products and marketing so we can create products that market themselves. Number two, when we can create a great product that markets itself through SEO, we create a recurring marketing strategy. Number three, organic search can actually create credibility for our business because Google uses credibility determining factors in setting its algorithm of sites and its search results. People actually trust more the sites that Google says are more credible and shows higher in those search results. Number four, to increase organic traffic and create a recurring marketing strategy, we should start by finding high intent keywords. 
Number five, once we have found the high intent keywords, we can turn them into content. Number six, one big shift is the change in consumer behavior in terms of who our customers trust and where they're going to be making purchasing decisions. We can increase our credibility by ranking high in organic search results. Number seven, we can gain credibility by including credibility sources in our content. Number eight, we need to make sure they have the necessary research and information to write good content to optimize SEO. To learn more about or connect with Rio, you can find him on LinkedIn or visit his website at usetopic.com. And there's links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can get my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. And if you received value from this episode, I'd be very grateful if you commented on, liked, and shared it. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you increase your organic traffic from search engines. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.